Hey, it's Francis. We're dropping a bonus episode in our feed this week from our sister podcast, The One Recipe. Enjoy. Happy holidays, everybody. I'm Jesse Sparks, host of the Splendid Table sister podcast, The One Recipe, here with a holiday special from APM, American Public Media. Between the chill in the air and the decorations covering homes and shops all around town, it's safe to say that the winter holidays are in full swing. And that means it's time to think all about gatherings with friends, family, and all the people we love to share a meal with, however that might look. Whether that includes a marathon of holiday parties, a romantic meal with your love, or a massive dysfunctional family meal, let's get to planning. We have three amazing guests to help you kick your celebrations into the highest of gears. We're going to head down to Texas and Louisiana for Southern Cajun Christmas with Chef Tiffany Derry. Then we're taking on holiday sweets with an old school classic, the Yule Log, reinterpreted for today by baker Matt Adlard, author of Bake It Better. Now, if you're a regular listener, you know we at The One Recipe like to do two things every week to start off the podcast. One is to let our guests introduce themselves and what they're most known for. And second, have them reveal a little something that we may not know. Let's dive right in with Chetna Makan. Hi, I'm Chetna Makan, food writer and cookbook author. And my latest book is Chetna's Indian Feast. And you know what I like to do on the holidays? Just pick up the kids, put the food in the oven and then head straight to the pub where I can see all my friends and raise a glass and just wish everyone happy holidays. Chetna is the perfect person to remind us all to shed the stuffy traditions this year. She's the author of many books, including the award-winning Cardamom Trail, Chetna's 30-Minute Indian, and her latest, which is perfect for this time of year, Chetna's Indian Feast. Let's get to it. Chetna, hello! Hello, hello! (laughs) First and foremost, Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday Season. How are you doing? I'm all right. A Merry Christmas to you too. I am, um, yeah, very, very excited. It's uh, one of my favorite time of the year, but then I like summer as well. So yeah, I can't really make up my mind. Honestly, I feel like you have the best of all scenarios where you love summer, but also you, you really get to shine and thrive in the holiday season during the winter. Uh, do you have any like Christmas traditions or holiday traditions that you and the family do? So uh, since the kids were very little, actually, um, we kind of start cooking and we put all the stuff in the oven and then we walk down to our local pub because it's such a small little town. It's not like, you know, big place like London. Um, Everything's close by. So it's like a five, seven minute walk. Um, so there's that's the only pub open uh, on Christmas Day because most of the things are shut. And then um, it's packed and everybody's got their Christmas jumpers on. They've got their little Christmas hats on and um, you see so many familiar faces and we end up meeting some friends. We'll have a drink. Um, and then by the time we walk back, the food is ready to come out of the oven. Oh my gosh, that sounds like perfect timing too. And with so many people kind of cramming into that little pub, does it get competitive for like the pool table or any of the activities that they have? So they have one pool table. And that's the only activity they have. So it does get competitive. Like everyone's waiting for when the other person or the family or the group will finish uh, their game so they can take over. But uh, 
some uh, Christmases, we've had really warm weather, like say 14, 15 degrees, which is very warm for the summer, uh, for the Christmas time. Um, and that pub is on the beach. So people just walk out and just stand by the sea. So they'll just stand with their drinks uh, on the beach um, and have a really nice time. So um, whatever the weather, it's such good atmosphere and everybody is very happy. And even if they don't know each other, they're wishing each other. And it just feels like the perfect kind of uh, festive vibe. Oh, that sounds so beautiful. And also for American listeners, 14, 15 degrees Celsius is just about like 60 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's perfect, like just cold enough for a light sweater, just warm enough to be able to bask in the sun and really, again, get spoiled by the seasons. Exactly. So to back it up a little bit, your Christmas traditions actually start a little bit sooner though, right? You and your family tend to make a lot of use of the time that leads up to Christmas instead of just Christmas Day. What else do you do during those days? So uh, because the kids kind of break up at least a week before Christmas, that's the standard. And mm -hmm. that's the time. Actually, we start even slightly before that because when they were little, um, even till last year, actually, uh, we always make some cakes or cookies and then we take it to neighbors and teachers. So we always have a little pack for their teachers, whatever, you know, they are, you know, with whatever subject they are teaching. They always get a little cake or cookie box or something like that. So that's where it actually starts. And then slowly, as they break up, then they love to bake, actually. They're not great in and too keen into cooking, but baking is something they love. So they'll, um, they'll always make uh, chocolate chip cookies or um, they every year they make a gingerbread house. And uh -oh. I'm not, I don't think like a very pretty looking because by the end of it, they're so frustrated and they just literally throw <laughs> everything at it. But it's their gingerbread house and, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect, but it's quite fun. They can do it among themselves. But that's the fun of it. That's the reason the kids get to go wild with the gingerbread house. It doesn't need to be pretty as long as they're just having a good time up until they get fed up with it. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so Chutna, what's in your ultimate cookie box? So always I have in the past uh, and I, I, the, I always bake things I like. So I never make something or I never actually, even when it comes to recipes, I never do things that I don't particularly like to eat myself. So all the stuff I make are things that I'll be very happy to devour. So um, it usually definitely has chocolate chip cookies. It usually has some flavor of biscotti um, and brownies. Brownies is something, I know it's not biscuit, but it's not even cake. So it's somewhere in the middle. Um, and uh, even um, just any flavor of the brownies whether it's caramel or it's nutty brownie um, and yeah blondies so these are things that actually keep well for a few days which is really important because you can't bake every day fresh so you have to have things that will keep well a few days um, outside and on the on the shelf so everyone can help themselves and eat whenever they like so you have the cookies covered is there like another snack you have to have 
Yes. So min spies are absolutely massive and they kind of uh, are like a sign of the arrival of the festive season because you can spot them in the shops and things like that. But usually they have really kind of short crust pastry and filled with mince meat um, and kind of very rich. Uh, so I make them at home and I use like a light, either a puff pastry or really thin short crust. And then I fill it with a little bit of mince meat and then um, add either almond paste or custard. So it becomes slightly lighter. And those uh, are amazing. And they actually you can make a batch, put them in a box on the shelf. Anyone who's staying or myself when I'm, you know, when I want to take a break can pick one up and enjoy it because they are absolutely delicious. Okay, so before people freak out, we're not talking about meat pies here. We're talking about minced meat pies. So Chetna, can you give us a quick breakdown or explainer for our American audience? So basically, it's lots of uh, chopped up uh, fruit and some nuts sometimes. Uh, so it could be raisins, it could be um, kind of almonds chopped in, some walnuts sometimes. And um, so you you can buy them ready-made. You can make them at home and then they are soaked in spirits and uh, lots of spices. So it's kind of Christmassy. It's very wintry. And um, actually, I can understand when people will get confused because the first time when I moved to UK many, many years ago, when I saw the jar and it said mince meat, I actually thought it's meat because it's obvious. Why would it? they call it meat if it's not meat? <laughs> um, so I can understand uh, people getting confused, but actually it, it is purely vegetarian um, stuff and it's kind of used uh, a lot over Christmas. Do you make your own? No, I wish I did, but because <laughs> no, I know. But I think it's great for people who make massive quantities of mince pies or mm -hmm. Christmas cake and things because you kind of use it for anything. Because of the quantity I use, I know you can buy some really good ones in the market these days. So, so you're thinking of the small, the size of hand pies or like the size of little muffin tins or baking tin size, correct? Yes. So basically, they are like, example, like mini cupcake size. That's mm -hmm. it. Uh, mini muffins. Uh, they are exactly that size. And we usually uh, use that tin to bake them anyways. And also, those mincemeat pies can get pretty dense. It's a lot of fillings packed into a kind of heavy crust. So I love your idea to use either like an almond, almond paste, paste or yeah. a custard to just lighten it up and to make a thinner yes. pastry too. So the whole thing is just easier snacking and you don't get as full or feel as heavy afterwards, right? Yes, absolutely right, yeah. We're talking to Chetna Makan, author of Chetna's Indian Feats. We'll be back with more from her shortly, and then... It could not be a research and development trip without going to my mother's house and letting her cook this ginormous plate of gumbo, bowl of gumbo, and she had cornbread. And then she went off and she started just adding things. I'm like, what is happening here? It's a buffet. We had fried chicken, we had pound cake. She had like three different pies. And she just gets so excited when we come. That's Chef Tiffany Derry waiting in the wings. Um, Christmas gumbo, anyone? I'm Jesse Sparks, and this is the One Recipe Holiday Special from APM. Our show is supported by Sitka Seafood Market. With Sitka Seafood Market, you can receive premium, sustainably harvested seafood from small boat fishermen and community processors shipped right to your door. 
Their wild-caught products are flash-frozen within hours of harvest, ensuring freshness and flavor. And Sitka Seafood offers flexible monthly or bi-monthly subscriptions, but you're never stuck with anything you don't want. They allow product swaps, special add-ons, easy pausing or cancellation, and they're backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Members can also access exclusive benefits, recipes, and cooking tips. Not ready to commit to a subscription? No problem. They have one-time boxes that showcase seasonal, festive, and popular varieties without commitment. Promoting the dietary guidelines supported by the American Heart Association, Sitka's Seafood Market emphasizes seafood's heart-healthy benefits. They're rich in omega-3 fatty acids and lean proteins. Start your free online visit today at sitkaseafoodmarket.com and use promo code SPLENDID35. Listeners receive $35 off their first order of $100 or more, subscription, or one-time box. Offer cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. And that's Sitka, S-I-T-K-A, seafoodmarket.com, and promo code SPLENDID35. I'm Jesse Sparks, and this is the One Recipe Holiday Special from APM, American Public Media. Today we're talking all things family and holiday cooking and eating. We've been talking to Chetna Makan, Britain's queen of Indian home cooking. You may recognize Chetna from her delightful books or her life-changing appearance on the fifth season of The Great British Baking Show. So let's get back to our conversation. Instead of doing one big Christmas dinner, you like to do a few different days where maybe one day you'll do like a curry. The next day you might have like a drinks party with friends and family. Can you kind of walk me through what you do on the days before Christmas itself? So actually, the reason is that I it's my birthday a week before Christmas. So um, many years ago, uh, once the kids were not babies and we couldn't handle more guests, we started having a big Christmas party, which Slash sometimes used to kind of be called my birthday party as well. But this is this big thing which became bigger every year. And now it's something that all my friends look forward to because sometimes they don't see each other all year round and then they'll meet up at my house over Christmas at that party. Um, so it's something that people um, uh, wait for that invite and it's become like a lovely thing um, and we have the best time. And that's when I do a lot of food, but not a meal, but I do a lot of snacks because I'm such a feeder and it's like the great opportunity for me to have this <laughs> massive table with um, all sorts of uh, savory and sweet stuff. Um, yeah, but when it comes to actual Christmas Day, uh, mostly we have um, the proper roast dinner like everyone else. But like you said, before and after the roast dinner, the actual Christmas Day, we have lots of different kind of meal. It could be anything. It could be one day I might just make a big pot of biryani or one day I might might just make curry and naan or, you know, uh, something light. Um, but uh, yeah, it's because it's such a special time and all four of us are at home, I try and make it special so we can sit around the table and have a proper meal. That table sounds amazing. What do you make? 
So there's lots of little things. Um, I tend to use um, kind of ready-made puff pastry and make these cheesy chutney twists. So just a layer of chutney and cheese and then twist and bake them until crispy. There's always a tray of profiteroles because they are light and, you know, you can just pick one. Um, there's always um, some kind of uh, prawns coated and grilled um, because I have to think of things that actually can be enjoyed at room temperature because I can't be sitting there heating everything up. Um, slices of focaccia, some different cheeses, these um, chicken puff pastry parcels. Uh, they're little, uh, but they're filled with like spiced up um, kind of uh, garam masala, chaat masala chicken. Um, and then there's potato balls, which I make almost every every year because they go down a treat with some nice wine and drinks because we usually um, do you know, um, some kind of chilled wine or red wine. I don't tend to do cocktails because it just, um, I, yeah, I just want to enjoy myself. So I just let everyone take their own drinks and things like that. There's always cake, lots of different crisps, um, some little cream cheese salmon bites. Yeah, so there's lots. I can go on and on. I like to have the table full and I like to see it all clear by the end of it. So that just uh, makes me feel like it was a good party. With a party spread like that, you don't need cocktails. <laughs> you have everything covered. You are good to go. And I love that you're still making a point of celebrating the greatest holiday of the year, Chetna Day, where we all break out our Chetna sweaters <laughs> with your face on it. So marking my calendar for this year, not going to miss it. <laughs> but oh in- my God, that's such a brilliant idea. I'm going to get that for Christmas when I I ask them over. Uh, when I invite them, I'll, I'll tell them to uh, have a cr- Chetna's Christmas jumper compulsory. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of the the many different dinners or the, the really big meals that tend to surround Christmas, I'm really curious what you do for breakfast. Any other Christmas traditions? So... Um, the one thing that we do uh, for Christmas meal, like I said, the roast, and it could be late in the afternoon. So we don't have any kind of lunch uh, on that day. So we tend to wake up quite late and then kids want to straight away open their presents, understandably. And then um, the kids or me might make some pancakes. And that is something we've been doing since they were little. And it's kind of continued. So I'm going to let it continue for as long as it can. <laughs> but it's quite nice because they are not like super filling but um, they are fresh ready in minutes and it feels a bit special because you know obviously we're not having pancakes every day for breakfast so it just feels a little special oh i really really love that what kind of pancakes are they so actually you'd be surprised to know that um, i always make american style fluffy pancakes for (laughs) christmas day (laughs) yes fluffy pancakes for the win yes absolutely do you prefer to use an instant mix or do you have your own recipe so i'm quite surprised people use instant mix because i just don't get it because it is an instant mix when you make it at home it could not be more instant because all you're doing is putting few ingredients in a bowl mixing it up so what do they take out of the packet i'm sure you have to mix egg in it anyway. So what's the difference? So yeah, no, I I am um, making it myself from scratch. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Are there any riffs or changes that you've introduced into this recipe that we may not find in a standard fluffy pancake recipe? 
No, not really. Uh, because I think the only difference we do is we do the toppings, whatever anyone wants. So like one will have a chocolate spread and one wants a banana with syrup or, you know, I want fresh whipped cream uh, with whatever fruit there is going at that time. So yeah, the actual pancake recipe is not something that I have come up with. It's just the standard fluffy American style pancakes. And it's still so much fun because it lets the kids get involved. It lets everyone kind of have an easier Christmas morning. And I just love getting a chance to peek into your Christmas festivities. Chetna, thank you for making time. It's been great chatting with you. Oh, same here. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Chetna is the author of the award-winning Cardamom Trail and her latest, Chetna's Indian Feast. You can find her one, that recipe for Chetna's cheesy potato balls, at theonerecipe.org. Just make sure you make them before you head to the pub. Okay, so next up, let's head to my home state, Texas. Hey y'all, Chef Tiffany Derry here. I have a restaurant called Root Southern Table and Root's Chicken Shack based in Texas, Dallas, and Austin. But one of the things that most people don't know about is that I actually had a golf scholarship before turning it down and going to culinary school. I know! Thank God Tiffany traded golfing greens for kitchen whites because this Dallas-based chef is killing it right now. If you don't already know Tiffany, you'll absolutely agree with me once you hear what she's been up to. She's a celebrity chef on TV shows like Chopped, The Great American Recipe, and Bobby's Triple Threat, among others. Off camera, she's the chef and owner of multiple restaurants across Dallas and Austin. And although she's very comfortable in hectic kitchens and in front of the camera, she's never more at home than when she's surrounded by her family as they make eggnog. But that's a story that you need to hear from her. So here she is. Tiffany, hello. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. You have always been so open. You've never been shy about where you draw influences from in your restaurants and your cooking. So can you tell me a little bit about, you know, who is inspiring the food that ends up on your table? All inspiration for me starts with family. And with us, family and food, we are connected. I feel like it's the connection that keeps me grounded. It's what also pushes me. Um, and it's where I draw inspiration. My grandmother, the matriarch of our family, is incredible. Oh, goodness grace. She's so wonderful. She was a single parent for a really large part of our lifetime. And she had 11 children. They moved from Baton Rouge, Port Allen, Louisiana to uh, Beaumont, Texas. And so the root of my cooking is from Louisiana, because that's where my grandmother pretty much grew up, raised children. And, and that is how we ate. And so she is the person who has influenced uh, my cooking the most. And then it goes to my mother, who is the best cook in the family. Um, all I know is, you know, family members may be coming for me now, but we all know it. Cookie is the best. Uh, and that's they will be it. all right. They know. They know. And so, yeah, so much of that has been passed down. And I feel like the food that I do is so closely tied to family and food and the things that I love. And I, I just add on from that. So what I love about the way that you talk about your grandmother and your mother's cooking 
is that it's all sincere, 100% real. And to prove just how real you are about it, when you opened your first restaurant, you actually took the whole team <laughs> to Louisiana to your mom's table so you could show them this is the type of food I want to make. This is the type of food I love and I grew up on. Is that right? That is 100% correct. So <laughs> being, you know, from Beaumont, there are things that I experienced that so many of my team members have not. My chefs have no clue what I'm talking about when I talk about certain foods. And, um, you know, we live here in Dallas, Texas now, and they just, they're from all over. One of my sous is from South Carolina. The other is from Puerto Rico. So like, you know, talking about Southern and the things that I say we do, I don't find here or I'm looking for, I needed to take them home. And the first stop, like it could not be a research and development trip without going to my mother's house and letting her cook this ginormous plate of gumbo, bowl of gumbo, and she had cornbread. And then she went off and she started just adding things. I'm like, what is happening here? It's a buffet. We had fried chicken. We had pound cake. She had like three different pies and she just gets so excited when we come, and they'll never forget. <laughs> That's amazing. Your mom was so ready to just say, hey, listen, this is just the beginning of what I can do, okay? It was Both her moment. Stay a while. <laughs> it was definitely but, her moment. <laughs> <laughs> but she and you have so much experience cooking for a massive crowd because you have a really big family, right? Yes. So my my mom has 10 other brothers and sisters. So along Ooh. with that, yeah, exactly. And then there's like... 50 cousins total and I'm I mean it just it just keeps growing you know like <laughs> there's a lot of us so you have this massive family you have this whole competition of cooks in the family too all fighting to to take center stage what does you know like a holiday meal look like for y'all <laughs> it looks like chaos <laughs> from the outside, but it's actually very normal for us. So my family, because we're so large, there's not a house. No one has this huge home where everyone can go to. So it's broken up. So people are in the kitchen. People are in the living room, the den, dining room, the garage. So the garage is usually the main part of the house where everything is. There's at least 20-something um, chafing dishes of things that are laid out. There's no one protein type of thing. You know, I have this story. I went to a friend's house for Thanksgiving one year and it was small and it was the first time I had been away from my family. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, I had to work the day before, I had to work the day after. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. My mom was like, do it. I go and it is like six dishes, <laughs> six dishes. I, I'm like, where's the rest of the food? It was just not our Thanksgiving. Which, no shade, no disrespect to anyone who is making those six dinners or meals. But also, when you're coming from, you know, it, a buffet in every room of the house. It wasn't the it, Johnsons. It wasn't the like, Johnsons. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> and and just for the record, for anyone who doesn't know, Johnson is your maiden name, correct? Yes, 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 my okay, family, okay. yes. <laughs> so, so that's the thing. It's just... You just have to manage people's expectations. So can you kind of walk me through what a Johnson menu would look like? What would be on the plate? Whew, here we go. Okay, so let's start with proteins because <laughs> that's always my favorite. Okay. okay we got to stretch first. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, and everyone, everyone has roles to play here. This is not a you mm -hmm. just come and eat and go kind of thing. We cook the same thing 
every year. Like, this is your dish. And you must hit it or else you're going to get talked about, okay? All right, so we have pork roast, beef roast, because not everybody wants pork roast. We have fried chicken. That's usually fried while we get ready before you get served. There is um, a ham. There is duck sitting on top of cornbread dressing. There is um, smothered turkey wings, whole turkey roasted, and there is oxtails, like braised oxtails. You're going to have something with a gravy, duh, right? Um, oh. And so, <laughs> so there is at least eight to nine proteins for sure. Then we move okay. into our carbs, <laughs> the love. Um, so <laughs> mac and cheese, dirty rice, red rice, which is sort of jambalaya-ish, but just with chicken and sausage, potato salad, then you have like greens and green beans and cabbage and corn. Oh, my auntie does this corn with crawfish. Always very good. She does a crawfish cornbread dressing, which is also very, she's in a, she's in a crawfish thing. She like runs that theme. And then, I mean, honestly, it just keeps going. And then someone always wants to get fancy and add something on because they're like, you know, I saw this recipe and I wanted to try it out. And the family is usually like, yeah, that's not it. You that's going to be out at the end of the table. <laughs> That's going to be in the living room. But already, that sounds amazing. Yes. Are there any dishes that you feel like you have to have around the holidays? Oh, every Christmas I look forward to gumbo and I look forward to eggnog. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's not Christmas if we don't have my mother's eggnog. And this is warm. So it is a hot eggnog, not cold. I didn't even know eggnog was supposed to be cold. Like I grew up drinking (laughs) hot eggnog and my grandmother... So we're clear. Ooh. My <laughs> grandmother said that eggnog is drunk in the winter because it's cold outside and you use the hot liquid and that's what warms your soul. So I grew up having hot eggnog, which is basically like a like a creme anglaise or like a vanilla um, flavor, lots of fresh nutmeg, lots of cinnamon. And then they take the egg whites and they float them on top. So almost like, you know, like a floating island would be it is so good. And if you're, you know, if you want to put your thing, your little adult beverage in there, you do. But <laughs> in our household, we actually don't. So we just drink it straight and people do what they want to do at home. Okay, that sounds great. But I got to know about that gumbo. I have to have gumbo. Like gumbo is my heart. It is my love language. It is something so special to me. And I eat it often because we have it at the restaurant. But I put it on the restaurant menu because I feel like I'm away from home and I don't get to have it. So I was like, this is going to be it. And it turned, it's our biggest seller. It is the thing that people order to go. Like you'll see it go out. Someone orders it at the table. And then that same table needs two more. (laughs) (laughs) If that's not the highest form of phrase, I don't know what is. Uh I'm like, oh, yeah, they tasted it. Oh, yeah. You could also see the orders of other people at the other tables being like, actually, can I get whatever that was? What, Whatever it was. I didn't even see it. I just smelled it. I need yes, it. Yes, yes. And it's a typical, like, this is Louisiana style. And honestly, you know, there's so many versions of gumbo. Like, there is no specific right or wrong, but we all have very strong opinions about them. Anybody um, that loves gumbo. <laughs> and I hear them all the time. Um, but for us, it was almost like a kitchen sink because we would do shrimp 
crab, chicken, and sausage in the gumbo. So, you know, you have this very flavorful, the roux needs to be the right consistency, the right color, not too thick, not too thin. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's an art, I feel like, to make gumbo. I already know the second you said gumbo, a lot of people got real nervous. Uh-huh. A lot of people got really, I don't know, a little intimidated just because... A lot of people think gumbo, lots of ingredients. You know, you really have to babysit the roux. It's so prone to burning if you look away at the wrong time. So can you kind of walk me through it and walk me through how you do it to avoid some of those common mistakes? Yeah, so it's all about the roux. If your gumbo roux is not right, your gumbo will never be what it's supposed to be. And when we're talking about roux, we're talking about a flour and oil. In a lot of French cooking, they use flour and butter to do roux. But because you need this really dark um, chocolate color roux, the butter would burn. So we use oil to make a dark brown roux. So it's the idea that flour and oil cooked down together turns into um, this almost popcorn, almost, it goes through, you know, peanut up butter. Like as you're cooking right. the roux, you smell it. The biggest issue is standing over the stove, stirring it because it's prone to burning. The mm-hmm. trick that we do is we put it in the oven. So we simply mix our flour with our oil, get it into a hot oven, and let it cook slower. And then you don't have to stir it as often. So if we cook it in the oven for an hour and a half, I only stir three times. So every 30 minutes and let it cook. It's a beautiful trick because we make such large batches at the restaurant. And what temperature are you cooking that at? Because I, if you're stirring it three times, you must be losing some heat. You know, you must be, you know, yeah. kind of having to start from scratch and build that temperature back up in the oven, right? Yeah, well, 350 is what we do. But you'll see. Oh. You'll see that the heat stays in that roux, right? Like, I don't know if you, anybody that's made roux understands, like, it's easy to burn yourself, right? So (laughs) this is a good way. I'm (laughs) traumatized. I'm like blocking out past memories. No one think about it. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's easy to burn. So that allows you just to cook it very, very easily. So then you're working with like a meteor gumbo, right? Yes. Do you have any recommendations for people who may not be able to find, you know, some of those iconic sausages or some of the other just kind of like crawfish or Louisiana staples? I just want people to understand that once you make your roux and once you get the base, um, you can really do what you like. It's not about having this very specific brand or these things. I mean, I, who am I to say that? I mean, I believe in the sausage I believe in, but that's just a personal. <laughs> so whatever's personal to them, if they like a sausage, they can do it. If they don't want to, then don't use that sausage, right? So you can really mm-hmm. use, you can make it with seafood. You can do it with whatever proteins you like. Have fun with it. So then as you're wrapping it up and you're bringing it all together, What is the finishing touch that you think other people really need to incorporate into their gumbos? I think the the bigger issue is that I love okra in it. And a lot of people don't love okra. And it's because they haven't had it the right way. So a couple tricks that I always believe for the gumbo. One, make the roux in the oven. It saves you all the time. You get everything else done. Make a really good stock so that brings in the flavor. You know, whether that's a chicken stock, whether it's a seafood stock, use your shrimp shells and make it. Um, But the third is I roast the okra in a 
very hot oven. So at about 400 degrees, I roast that uh, that okra, get all of that texture out of it, and then you're left with the flavor. The okra also thickens the gumbo slightly, so you don't want it to be too, too thick when you start doing that. And then finish with gumbo filet. I mean, filet is sassafras. That is like the flavor that we get from gumbo. Um, And then from there, you can make your own. Make your new tradition. Listen, choose your own adventure. (laughs) Tiffany, thank you so much for having me. I need to crash a family gathering, a Christmas, a Thanksgiving, anything I can with your family. Thank you for being here and happy holidays. Thank you. Happy holidays, everyone. Tiffany Derry is the chef and owner of Root Southern Table, and her latest, Radici. She's also a judge for various food shows, including The Great American Recipe. You can find her recipe for her gumbo at theonerecipe.org. Now that we've gotten an appetizer and a main course out of the way, it's onto a topic that will either excite or terrify you. Dessert. It's the last hurdle, the final boss standing strong after you've conquered everything else on the menu. But don't worry, you won't have to face that challenge alone, because we have a friend who is here to help. I'm Matt Adlard. I'm a self-taught pastry chef, an influencer, and actually now a US best-selling author, which I can say about myself. And my fun fact is, at the holidays a few years ago, I decided to whip out Cards Against Humanity at Christmas, and that just turned out to be the wrong idea because, yeah, you don't want to be playing Cards Against Humanity with your granddad, and yeah, things did not turn out well for me. Matt Adlard is a self-taught baker and content creator from Norwich, England. In 2015, he created the popular blog, Topless Baker, which quickly went viral after its launch. Now he serves as a judge on the Food Network. He's also the author of the best-selling cookbook, Bake It Better. Listen up. Matt, happy holidays. Hey, it's a pleasure to be back with you. It's always so good to have you back. What have you been up to for the holidays? Hey, well, holidays, family, you know, I've got a son now, so like everybody needs to see uh, see the kids. So yeah, we're going to be kind of traveling up and down the country, seeing my wife's parents, seeing my parents. And yeah, it's going to be a really nice kind of relaxing time. I think the year has been crazy. I released the book and I'm ready to kind of sleep and eat and just kind of turn my phone off and spend time with everyone. Oh, that sounds amazing. So in addition to introducing your family to the baby, what do you and the rest of the Adlers do in the lead up to Christmas? Well, we've got such a big family, you know, so every year can be very different. So in the lead up to Christmas, usually what we'll do is we will have like an early Christmas with my local families and we'll celebrate that all together. So we'll do the full holiday celebration, the food, the presents, the hats, the crackers, I mean, absolutely everything. And then once we've done that, we'll then usually drive to my uh, wife's parents' house and we'll do that all over again. So we'll kind of have two holidays within the space of like four days. So we kind of get to do it twice. So you get a real variation of presents, of food, of celebrations, of people <laughs> falling asleep. So you get to experience like every type of holiday within four days. Oh my gosh. I feel like that's one of the best things about growing up and just having both your own small family gathering, but also the big family to do as well. And with a dad who's also a chef and you being an incredible pastry pro 
I feel like y'all's tables are incredibly well stocked. It is, you know, I remember I have a really distinct memory of my dad being like, right, this year we're going to do a bird within a bird within a bird. So I think it was a, <laughs> what was it? It was a turkey stuffed with a chicken stuffed with a partridge. And I mean, like you're deboning so many birds. And, you know, it was incredible just the effort that he went into to create this dish. But for him, it was just no big deal. Like, yeah, yeah, a bird within a bird within a, you know, cooking a chicken is hard enough, but trying to do three birds in one and cook them perfectly. Oh, my goodness. And already your rendition, or I guess your dad's rendition of the bird within a bird within a bird sounds so much fancier and more put together than like the Louisiana, Texas tradition of the turducken, which are ducks stuffed inside of chickens stuffed inside of turkeys all of which have been deboned but i'm sure they're much less fancy and composed as your uh as your bird spectacular they're already like prepped and then you just like go home <laughs> and you shove them in the oven absolutely and then we just take all of the credit we just smile and nod and say yeah we deboned this ourselves i think it's okay to let you know someone is more skillful at butchering birds so just <laughs> it's okay to buy that to duck in from somebody else and then you've got to have the skill to cook it you know that's a whole that's probably 90 percent of the job to be honest right see we're, we're both working hard here but you grew up with this michelin star chef as your dad cooking at home are there any other recipes that you love for the holidays? Okay, so my dad as well. So, you know, there's always potatoes at the holidays, like roast potatoes are very big in England, some kind of potato dish. Uh, but my dad does mashed potatoes and his mashed potatoes are just unbelievable. So I remember <laughs> he would use like a baking potato, you bake it in the oven and then you, so it takes, you know, a good hour to two hours, you scoop out the potato from the flesh and you pass it through a sieve. So he used, I remember he had this massive like industrial commercial fine mesh sieve and he'd use a plastic scraper and he'd just spend so long just passing this potato through the sieve into a pan. And you get this mash that is so smooth. It is incredible and he slaves over the smashed potatoes so instead of roast potatoes we're usually having some kind of pom puree which is beautifully smooth with butter and salt and pepper and milk and so even now like if i'm making mashed potato even for my son who's having you know like a basic dinner i'm like i have to sieve the mashed potatoes so dad's like christmas mashed potatoes now live throughout the year every time you make mashed potatoes they have to be sieved oh that sounds beautiful so what else shows up on your holiday table you know, I think the thing about holidays for us is because there's so many kind of cooks, especially on my side of the family, not every year is the triple cooked bird or the uh, <laughs> the roast chicken or the, you know, whatever it is. We Usually you turn up and you honestly have no idea what's going to be served because everyone brings something quite creative to the table. So, you know, my brother-in-law is really into like dried chicken with Japanese flavors and Mexican food. And so you might end up with like a slow cooked Mexican meat and then dad's throwing a chicken in the oven and then we've got mashed potatoes. I mean, honestly, you just get this whole blend of worlds and flavors and so that's what's quite exciting about the holidays does anyone ever get competitive or really ambitious with what they're cooking i would probably from like a dessert aspect you know obviously i'm the one bringing the dessert i'm usually competing with myself and trying to kind of one-up what i was doing the previous year so there's like a few staple recipes i'll always bring but then i'm like right should i do like a mirror glazed entremet with a spiderweb effect on top or should i do a 
three-tiered cake. I mean, I bring desserts that make no sense to be serving at the holidays, but I'm just like, <laughs> what's going to be really extravagant and look incredible? And so I'll end up working on something that has nothing to do with the holidays, but I'm just challenging myself anyways. I love that, though, because it's so much fun. And when else do you have the time to just commit yourself to a project like this where it's fun and it's impactful too. And now I'm obviously baking all day for a living. You know, every day is about creating content and making recipes for people. So when you get kind of the two week break for the holidays, mm-hmm. it's interesting to kind of sit back and be like, okay, what am I going to make for myself? Like, what do I really want to cook that I'm going to enjoy? And so that's when all the kind of creativity unleashes and you're right, this is going to be this incredible dessert that I've been thinking of for six (laughs) months. So going with the theme of the holidays, what's your one recipe for the holidays? So for my, uh, there's there's kind of two recipes I usually bring, and but the one really traditional holiday recipe to keep within the theme is a Yule log. So I don't know if you guys eat Yule logs in, in the States, but a Yule log is like a very uh, traditional British recipe. So what I do is um, a chocolate sponge, and it's a really simple chocolate sponge, and the secret to the sponge is a little bit of oil in it. So the oil makes the sponge really flexible because a Yule log is essentially like a sponge that's filled with cream and you roll it up if you don't get the recipe of the sponge right what happens is it cracks as you're rolling it up and it it looks a bit messy so a little bit of oil in the recipe is really the secret and then i keep the filling super simple so because it's the holidays i usually do like an irish cream whipped cream filling so i use a little bit of baileys um heavy double cream a bit of sugar a bit of vanilla and you just whip that to kind of a medium stiff peak you roll that onto the sponge roll it up into a nice tight circle and then you can just dust it with cocoa powder Uh, you can dust it with powdered sugar and it's really simple and it's very light because i find that when you've been eating so much throughout the day you know you've had like canapes and starters and mains when it gets dessert i've put all this effort in and everyone's like i don't want dessert and so doing something that looks really impressive but is also quite light on the palate is quite important so i always bring the the yule log that's kind of my go-to as well as other other desserts that i'm creating in my mind perfect holiday dessert and for people who are struggling to kind of visualize it it really does end up looking like a log how intentionally do you try to make the exterior look like bark or pieces of a fallen tree so when i first did it so i remember the I remember I like kind of just started my career and I remember doing it and you sometimes you put like ganache on the outside and you use a fork to kind of uh, spread the ganache so it looks like a tree bark. And I remember putting a picture up on Christmas Day and I said to my brother, I'm like, this post is going to pop. I mean, it was back in the days of Instagram and you just posted photos. It's like, everybody's going to love this Yule log that I made. This is going to be like my biggest, most popular post. And it was awful. I now look back at the picture. I'm like, this is such a terrible photo. Oh, no. <laughs> What I've done is I've kind of like, I've kind of refined the design of it. So now I just have like the sponge with the cream in the middle and I kind of forego the the log effect on the outside because I have like scarred memories of posting that photo and thinking it was going to be the most viral picture of a Yule log. I don't know what I was thinking, but yeah, the, the log effect is now gone, but it is really easy to do. If you do want to do it at home, just put a little bit of ganache on the outside and use a fork and just kind of scrape the fork around the outside and it will look like a log. Movie magic right in your kitchen. (laughs) So then what is that second recipe? I'm so curious. So the other one is a real staple within our family. So we do, um, it's my dad's lemon tart. So anyone who's ever followed me, you'll kind of hear me talk about lemon tart like over and over again and say, what's the recipe you'd 
the only dessert you could ever have for the rest of your life and it's my dad's lemon tart he is he was a mission star chef and he was a renowned for this lemon tart and so i've kind of taken that recipe now and elevated it i would say i've made it slightly better <laughs> with my pastry prowess shall we say and so so we do my dad's lemon tart which is simple kind of uh sweet pastry a pat sucre as they would say in french uh, on the base you blind bake that and then you make this lemon filling which is really simple to pull together uh, it's just eggs cream sugar lemon juice lemon zest uh, and the the key is like really blending it till it's nice and smooth you sieve out all that lemon zest uh, in the end so you don't get any little lumps in the actual tart and then you just blowtorch it just before it goes into the tart shell that gets rid of all the air bubbles and you get this really smooth clean lemon filling which is just honestly the perfect balance of citrus and tartness and sweetness and Anybody who's ever had the lemon tart says, wow, that is really the best lemon tart I've had. I've had. So the recipes in my book, I've kind of tweaked it and perfected it now and did uh, tell my dad that it's better than his. So I should call it my lemon tart, Matt's lemon tart. <laughs> Take it back. And one day soon after your child will be ready to say, hey, Matt, get out of the way. It's time. I've served it to him and he doesn't <laughs> like it. And I'm like, Ruben, like this is a family tradition. You have to eat lemon tart. And he spits out. <laughs> like, no, daddy, don't like, don't like. I'm like, Ruben, you need to learn this recipe. I mean, I even dedicated it to him in the book. I was like, you need to learn how to make lemon tart. This is essential. Um, so he will get there one day and it will be Ruben's lemon tart. <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for sharing all of your family's recipes with us. I cannot wait to introduce them to my table. Happy holidays. Hey, and to you too. Matt Adlard is the author of Bake It Better. You've got to have a Yule Log at least once on your holiday table, so go for it. You can find his recipe for his modern take on a Yule Log at theonerecipe.org. And that's all, folks. We hope you've enjoyed this holiday episode of The One Recipe. I cannot wait to spend time with my community again. In the Sparks crew... Holidays are kind of like our March Madness, so even though things get a little rowdy between the free-flowing drinks and the many humiliating family stories that always seem to come out of the woodwork around these times, we'll still just enjoy being together. I hope you're able to make the most of this time, too, however that looks for you. Just be sure to celebrate the people you love, and be sure to let them love on you, too. Happy holidays, everyone. Our show was produced by Sally Swift, Erica Romero, and associate producers Bryn Farrell and Maria Wortel. Technical director Derek Ramirez and digital producer James Napoli. Sally Swift is our managing producer. Special thanks this week to Ray Shillins at Radio Lounge and to Steve Griffith, who always manages to make the schedules work. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Joanne Griffith, and Alex Schaffer. Beth Perlman is our executive producer. The One Recipe was created by Sally Swift and Erica Romero. I'm Jesse Sparks. This is APM Studios. Go make some holiday magic.